Well, we're getting into week three of this week's or this month's series called Pursued by Passion. Um, I'd ask how many of you are enjoying it, but I'm sure that it's all of you. Yes, show of hands, good. In Buffalo, I hope that you guys are enjoying this month. Uh, really because uh, why I would say we're enjoying it is uh, it's hard not to enjoy hearing messages about how much God loves us right? I, I mean, I think it, it sometimes is radical as in my life as I study these things and I realize and look at the depth of God's love for us in the nuances of his behavior and the stories that he tells, we realize that God is on a radical love affair with his children, that he would go to any lengths and any depths in order to rescue his children, that no matter how good you are this morning, feel like you are deserving or undeserving, can I tell you something? God's love has an amazing ability to transcend anything that's natural. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that there's nothing on the earth in the ages to come in history, angelic, demonic, spiritual, nothing in this entire world can separate us from the love of God. That means wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing this morning, there is one single truth that God loves you and that he's pursuing you even when you feel far from him. So this morning, the title of my message is The Messiah's Muse, The Messiah's Muse. And you'll notice that we're giving some of these funny titles and it almost in moments seems blasphemous to talk about Jesus this way, but as you read through the scriptures, you are, you know, if you study it all, if you read it all, you are confronted, almost at times uncomfortably confronted by Jesus's willingness to continue to lower himself to reach what in culture would be non-people, people of disinterest. And we watch as Jesus sets his heart and his affection on people. And, and this morning, what we're going to talk about is, is this concept of what do we deserve? Because one of the things that I love about the gospel is that when Jesus came and he dies on the cross for us, he gives us something that we don't deserve, that oftentimes we deserve rejection. We deserve to be rejected by God. We deserve to be forgotten. We deserve to be lost. But Jesus in place of that gives us acceptance. You know, we're going to talk about the good shepherd this morning because that's one of the terms that's used to describe the nature of Jesus is that he is the good shepherd. And I always think about this story, you know, he's the good shepherd. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to pursue the one. And for some reason, whenever we talk about that story, we always feel like the one sheep that was lost you know, that he was a victim, you know, that we always feel so sorry for the one sheep that was lost, as if, you know, he's just out there minding his own business and just somehow gets separated. But as I was preparing this message, I thought about, mm, what if that wasn't the case? We're like, what if, in fact, the one sheep who was lost deserved to be lost? right? Like, what if he was just a total jerk, right? And Jesus was trying to get them to go one way, and he was so determined that he had everything all figured out, and he was going to go his own way. And, and honestly, it seems to me that that's the story, 
Because it wasn't, you know, 25% of them got lost. It wasn't that Jesus went down some treacherous path and, you know, we lost a few good men. It wasn't, that wasn't the story. It was 99 of them figured out how to get there. And the one was lost. And I began to think about it. What if this sheep deserved, I mean, if this sheep was anything like me, this guy, he deserved to be lost. His lostness, you know, this was just his own making. He deserved to be rejected. He deserved to be outcast away. I'm sure the other sheep, the 99, right? They were finally like, thank God that this guy is gone. I mean, he was trouble. Right, he's just trying to lead everybody and trying to get everybody lost. And, and I began to think about it, that maybe he deserved to be lost, but the story is so beautiful because Jesus, instead of leaving him lost and rejected, Jesus accepts him. In fact, he leaves the ones who, in the way that I'm telling the story, he leaves the ones who had accepted him to find the one who had rejected him. You know, I don't necessarily know how it happened. It wasn't there when Jesus told it to be able to ask for clarification. But one of the things that I know about life is one of the worst feelings that we can feel in humanity is to be rejected, to be left out, to be overlooked, to be lost, to be forgotten. And the unfortunate reality about this is that it happens to us at such an early age. I mean, probably some of your most vivid childhood memories, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, you remember the memories of being the last person to get picked for that sports game. You remember, you know, I don't know what your school was like, but in my school, my high school, it was like, you know, there was the popular table which everybody aspires to get to. And then there was kind of like the semi-popular table. And then like way over in the corner, right? That was, that was my table that I sat at. And I'm trying to just like make my way up to somewhere. You know, you hear about people and you know, maybe you see them on Instagram and all your friends are posting about a party and they're all out celebrating, and you're at home eating Ben and Jerry's, you know? Maybe it's the bubble, right? Anybody know what the bubble, right? You know, when you text somebody, and there's like a texting etiquette for when you text someone, right? There's like, you know, there's the one hour rule and the 24, and sometimes maybe you don't get a text back, and you're like, I thought we were 24 hour friends. But the worst thing about texting, right, is this, is you text somebody, and there, you see the bubble pop up that they're texting you back. And then all of a sudden, the bubble goes away and you don't hear from them. And you're like, I know you saw this. Maybe you don't have an iPhone, at which time God bless you. Because you have removed yourself from an intense environment of rejection but maybe for you it was that you didn't get a job. You applied for the job and somebody got picked over you. Maybe it's that all of your friends are dating or getting married and you're still believing God for your spouse. Maybe it's that your husband was, you know, checking out that cute girl in the mall. I've realized something. There are very few emotions in life that are worse than feeling rejected. 
And we see in this story that I'm about to read about a man named Zacchaeus that this was a man, if anyone inside of the culture deserved to be rejected, it was this man. This was a man who, for all intents and purposes, as I begin to describe his life, you'll realize this was a man who didn't accidentally get lost. He didn't accidentally find himself being rejected. This was a man who wanted to be lost. In fact, it was the very lifestyle that he sought after, and the whole culture responds to him with hatred, shame, rejection. But as we read, we're going to see Jesus responds differently. In Luke chapter 19, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, I want to you to see there's two things that Scripture uses to define who Zacchaeus was. One, that he was a tax collector, and the other is that he was wealthy. Now, there's some things that you may or may not know about a tax collector at this time. Maybe you still feel the same today about tax collectors. Uh, but tax collectors in this, season, in this period of time in human history, these were the most hated group of people on the planet. They were corrupt. In fact, the depth of corruption was so deep that in order for them to get the job as tax collectors, they had to bribe another tax collector. And so before the corruption started in the job, they had to be already corrupt individuals in order to get the job. And we see that Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. The scripture tells us that he was a chief tax collector, which means he wasn't just corrupt. He would have been the corrupt of the corrupt. He would have been the corrupt that would have corrupted other corrupt people. You get an idea of how, how bad this guy was. That one of the things that tax collectors would do is, is that in, inside of Roman culture is that when you lived in the territories of Rome, Rome would apply a tax to your life. In order to live in Rome and to live in the safety and security of that place, you'd have to pay a tax. And what tax collectors would do, because there wasn't like online bills that you could just like hop onto your portal and see how much you owed, but the tax collectors would have been the only people who would have known how, known how much tax you owed. And so let's say what would happen is, is that uh, you owed $100 to the Roman government. What the tax collectors would do, and this is how they made their living, and they would go to your house and they would knock on your door and they would say, hey, tax time, you owe me 150 bucks. And they would pay the $100 to the Roman government and they would keep the $50 for themselves. And so for Zacchaeus to be known as a wealthy man, we know that his wealth, his very stature in society was built on stealing other people's money. And when people looked at him, you know, driving his nice donkey and wearing his Prada shoes, okay, they would have known that it was their hard-earned money that he stole from them, flaunting it in their faces. Come on, you can imagine how they would have felt about this man. And what's worse about Zacchaeus, I mean, it would have been one thing if Zacchaeus would have been Roman, right? Because then you could have been like, man, we hate the Romans, you know, down with Rome. But that wasn't Zacchaeus' story. Zacchaeus was actually a Jewish person. 
He was a Jewish man who then worked for Rome, and he was hated so much that if you, I'm not going to get into it, but you understand Jewish culture, the synagogue, and their times of worship is like, it's a staple. It was, it was like a God-given right for people to, they, he was so hated, so hated, that he was forbidden from even worshiping in the synagogue. Now, I don't know Zacchaeus personally, but I know what it feels like for people to reject you. And I can imagine that as we get into the story, we're going to see that he runs to Jesus. But I could imagine that, you know how we all do it. You know, you feel bad about yourself. You feel rejected. And so, you know, you buy a new pair of shoes. And the shoes make you feel good for maybe like five minutes until they get scuffed. And then it's like, no, 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 you know what? I need to go bigger, right? So he buys, right, the newest donkey on the block. And then the new donkey kicks him off and he's like, I'm done with you. It's not long before I can imagine Zacchaeus is tired of being hated. He's tired of feeling alone. He's tired of feeling guilty. He's tired of being rejected. He's tired, I'm sure, as a Jewish person in a Jewish culture, he's tired of feeling disconnected from God. But he's living in this place where I can imagine, and honestly, I believe that I'm speaking to someone in this room where he feels this emotion of, I've done so much wrong. How could I ever expect to be accepted? You know, when people are seeing him, he's rich, and he's He's got it all, and he's, you know, everything is together, and it makes me think so much about our Instagram, you know, snapshot lifestyles, about how we assume that because something is going good on the outside of someone's life, that that in turn means that things on the inside are going well, and, you know, I'm sure he's, you know, got the selfies with the new pool, right, and he's like got his arm around whoever the Jay-Z of the time was, He's got his Prada shoes and his Louis Vuitton wallet, vacationing in the Maldives, right? Driving around his equivalent of Ferrari donkey. And people are like, man, I hate this guy. He's got it all. He must love his life. And Zacchaeus is finding himself hurting and broken. And this can so often be the way that we judge things about other people's lives that make us feel less than, feel rejected. We see that person's marriage and it looks good on the outside, but can I tell you something? Oftentimes, it's not. We judge the success of our life based off of how many social media followers when it's so often the social media people, the ones who finally come out and talk about how alone they really feel. We assume that this person is so well-liked only to feel, realize that they may be liked by everybody, but they don't like themselves. Maybe you find yourself as a strong Christian and everybody on the outside, you know, you speak, you speak perfect Christianese and you get the highest hands in worship, but on the inside, you're going through a spiritual crisis. You don't know what you believe anymore. You don't, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been misunderstood and you find yourself in these strange places. And I believe this is where Zacchaeus was. As we pick up the story in verse three, it says this, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, we're going to call him vertically challenged because we, we want to be sensitive. He couldn't see over the crowd. And, and I could imagine even, you know, these descriptive words that people use, right, tell us a little bit about 
the state of his life. In fact, this word that was used, it wasn't, you know, just that he was shorter than most people, right? It wasn't like he was like 5'3", and everybody else was like 5'7", and you're like, oh, he was like a shorter guy. Historians believe that Zacchaeus was actually like a little person. He was, he had the condition dwarfism, right? And so we can imagine that probably what drove him into a life of corruption was looking at people who were tax collectors, thinking that they had everything going right with their life because they were wearing the Pradas and driving the Ferraris. And he aspires to be like them, only to realize that he reaches the top echelons of these things, but on the inside still feels rejected. We realize this, that what depth of rejection would Zacchaeus have felt? And, and then Jesus shows up. How many of you know that Jesus changes things? How many of you read in the Bible that even Jesus coming into a town begins to change things in people's lives? And Jesus shows up and Zacchaeus is hated. But I'm sure that Zacchaeus heard about Jesus for one main reason. And that was that one of Jesus' followers was Matthew. And Zacchaeus probably would have known Matthew, would have known about him, because there was something very particular about this follower of Jesus. The follower of Jesus, Matthew, was also a tax collector. And I can imagine Zacchaeus in the midst of his rejection, all of a sudden sees a glimmer of hope that says, if he can be accepted, maybe I can too. And so when Zacchaeus runs, I don't think he's just running out of curiosity. I think there's a glimmer of hope that arises that says maybe someone can accept me. I want to see this for myself, you know. You know, my parents have told me about Jesus, and, you know, my wife, you know, she's a Christian. But I need to see, I need to see Jesus for myself. And it's, Scripture says that Zacchaeus runs to Jesus. And I've realized something about rejection. Rejection can do one of two things. It can either make you run towards people, right? There's an inward desire to be accepted. And we can run towards people, and can I tell you something? People can never fill the hole on the inside of you. That there's a gnawing, there's a gnawing, there's a longing on the inside of us to be accepted by Jesus. But can I tell you something? When we run to Jesus, acceptance is guaranteed. Can I tell you something this morning online in Buffalo? It doesn't matter what is happening in your life. It doesn't matter whether you think you deserve it. It doesn't matter whether you walk in today and you're still drunk or high or whatever. It doesn't make a difference. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and gave us acceptance. And so in verse 4, it says this, so, Jesus, so he ran ahead, Zacchaeus, and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I want to focus on two words here. It says that he ran and he climbed. Now, these are two things inside of a Jewish culture that a Jewish man would never do, okay? These were considered like undignified things, right? Like, I'm gonna climb over. You have to remember, right? These guys weren't in pants, right? They were kind of in like a really intentionally tucked robe. So if you can imagine, you start running 
and you don't necessarily know when it's going to flap open and do some things and show some things. And, and so running in that culture was undignified. Climbing was reserved as something like if you couldn't reach something, you would never climb to reach it. Climbing was something that only slaves would do. And so for Zacchaeus to run and climb, we realized that he was willing to lay aside everything that people may have thought about him in order to experience this moment with Jesus. In fact, I believe that what, this was one of the things that was so hard for the Jewish listeners to hear about the story of the prodigal son. Because we remember another person who ran inside of the scripture, and that was the father in the story of the prodigal son, who we know is a representation of God the Father, and Jewish people also knew he was a, a, a symbol of God the Father. And the scripture says what? That when he saw his son afar off, he ran after him. And we see this. We see inside of a culture when people experience Jesus, they're able to lay aside things that would kept them feeling rejected. We read about the woman with the issue of blood who was dealing with this infirmity where she was an outcast in society for 12 years. And what does it say? That she reached for Jesus. We read about the story of the four guys who had a friend who was dying and he was laying on a mat and they were trying to get him in to see Jesus and, and, and they couldn't get him in through the crowd. And so what they do, they dug through the roof. We see Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus is running and he's climbing. Can I tell you something this morning? Run, reach, dig, climb, do whatever it is that you have to do in order to get past it, right? Reach past your insecurities, dig past your trauma, Climb over those fears that you have that would make you feel separated from Jesus. Do whatever you have to do to get to Jesus. Because can I tell you something? Those things that you feel that separate you are lies. You have already been accepted. We see Zacchaeus. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how this is going to work but I'm gonna do whatever I have to do in order to get to him. You know, this is something similar in a sense to what I did, you know, in my life. Because you know, sin is fun, right? Until it's not, right? And then it's the worst, right? Sin is fun to do. And then you reap the harvest of the sin and you're like, oh God, why? Why did I ever do that? And, and this was my story growing up is, you know, I knew about God and just wasn't interested in him. Uh, I knew that I needed him in my life, but I had separated myself so far through my lifestyle that I honestly didn't know how to get back. The only thing that I knew to do is, is I knew that I needed to move to Texas to go to this school, uh, and, and that was the only thing that I knew how to do. The only problem was is that you didn't get much alone time when you lived in a room with five other grown men, right? And so there was a window that was in my room. And what I used to do is I realized that I could open the window and I used to go out and sit on the roof outside, right? I would climb up and sit on the Zacchaeus, climbed a tree and I climbed out a window. But the reality was I knew that I needed God. And I was willing to do whatever was necessary in order to find him. Can I tell you, climb over your pride. Climb over your excuses. Climb over your fears. Climb over your troubles. Climb over your issues. 
Why? Because when you seek him, the Bible tells us we find him because he is already at this very moment seeking after you. A scholar said about the story of the prodigal son that we long for a brother who will search us out and seek for us when we're lost. And Jesus is the perfect brother. He is the good shepherd. Can I tell you something this morning? You may feel lost. You may be sitting here and you don't even understand a word that's coming out of my mouth, but you resonate with the feeling of rejection. Can I tell you, Jesus is the brother. He's the good shepherd who leave the 99. He's searching for you. Verse five says this, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, right? Jesus calls him by name. Can I tell you something? You aren't a number to God. You are not some distant creation. He knows you intimately. Scripture says that the thoughts he thinks for you will outnumber the sand on the seashores. It says that he has the very number of hairs, diminishing that they may be, that are on your head. It says he knows everything about you. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Can I tell you, the good shepherd knows his sheep. You know, I realize that Zacchaeus was probably called many things in his life. But the name Zacchaeus, as crazy as it may be, can I tell you something? The enemy is intent on robbing you of your very God-given birth identity. Zacchaeus, the corruptest of the cor corrupt. Zacchaeus actually means the righteous one. But I can imagine, right, that when people are calling Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, right, they're probably like, you know, yeah, hey, righteous one, right? Like, you know. Hey, anything but righteous one, right? I can imagine Zacchaeus was called a lot of things in his day, but righteous was certainly not one of them, right? And the thing that I love about Jesus is, is that, you know, Jesus is savage, man. Like he sees the guy who everybody knows is the worst of the worst. And Jesus is like, yeah, you worst of the worst, come on down. Like maybe Jesus knew that he was rich so he'd have good food. I don't know, right? However, Jesus is like, you, I need to eat at your house today. He, he doesn't explain to people why he chooses Zacchaeus, right? He doesn't like whisper to his followers like, listen, guys, this is my mission field, right? Don't be offended, right? Obviously, I'm doing it because he needs me today. Jesus doesn't, he's like, you know, like, you know, pray for him. I, actually, don't pray, pray for me, right? Like, imagine how horrible it's going to be when I go to this guy. Jesus isn't doing any of those things. What does Jesus do? Jesus ignores the crowd. Come on, he ignores all the people. And he goes directly for Zacchaeus. Why? I ask myself this question because, man, in our culture, we can think that the better we are, the more that we deserve him. We could think that the more that we do for him, the more that we deserve to be in relationship with him. And Jesus destroys this reality about himself. I asked myself, why would Jesus have chose Zacchaeus? And I realized, this is actually who 
he came for. Verse 6, it says this, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people who saw this, they began to mutter, Has he gone to be the guest of a sinner? You know, this sounds like a really harsh word, right? It could sound like, oh, these guys are jerks, right? But the reality is, is Zacchaeus deserved to be treated this way. He was a thief. He made his living stealing from his very, like, widows. Right? Like, the marginalized, the downtrodden. Like, he made his living stealing from these people. Right? He was selfish. He took advantage of the weak. You know, essentially, in modern days, Zacchaeus would have been like, you know, Don Zacchaeus. Right? He would have been like the mafia hitman, no emotion, doesn't care about anything. He deserved to be rejected. But I love what D.L. Moody says. He's an amazing old-timer. He says this, that Zacchaeus was converted in the time from limb to the ground. That from the time that Zacchaeus climbed, and I don't know how long that was, right? Like... <laughs> Anywhere from one to probably eight seconds, right? One second if he was like, heard his name and fell out of the tree, right? Maybe if he climbed dignified, it took him like 10 seconds. But in the time he went from limb to ground, he had been transformed. Can I tell you something this morning when we sit in the presence of Jesus? It doesn't matter what you came in with. It doesn't matter in a matter of moments. We can be transformed in his presence. Zacchaeus converted from limb to ground. Seconds. And he's forever changing. We see his transformation, the immediate fruit of his transformation, right? And I love this, is that in seconds, he goes from hated to hero. It says this in verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give, come on, this is, he climbed up the tree, a thief, made his living stealing money from people, right? Let's get the context here. In a matter of a moment encounter with Jesus and his love and his acceptance, it says this, here and now I give half, come on now, Half of my possessions to the poor. And if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, can I tell you something very important that we understand here? Zacchaeus does not give in order to receive the approval of Jesus. Zacchaeus gives because he has been approved by Jesus. Right, you see, he's not trying to give in order to get something. He's so overwhelmed in that moment that Jesus would call him by name. That transformation happens on the inside. And he says, listen, everything that I've done, that's wrong. I heard a story about this of a man who was embezzling money. Stole something ridiculous, like $1.2 million from his company. Got saved, radically saved, turned himself in. Went to court, was sentenced to prison for like two and a half years, gets out of prison, 
and thought to himself, what would a follower of Christ do? He worked for that company for 12 years. Come on, encounter with Jesus changes things. He worked for 12 years for that company without pay in order to repay them for the money that he had stolen. Can I tell you something? Transformation didn't just happen in the Bible, but it can happen in our very lives. Maybe you have been dealing with things this morning, addictions and troubles and problems, and you think there's no hope for me. I could never be accepted. One moment with Jesus can change everything. Can I tell you something? Don't do things for the approval of Jesus. You're trying to earn something that was already given to you. Can I tell you something? Don't do things because you think it's gonna make Jesus smile on you. Do things out of the reality of what he's given to you. And I didn't deserve it. And I didn't deserve to be accepted. And I didn't deserve to be forgiven. And I didn't deserve to be blessed. But now that I am, the only response to radical love is radical sacrifice. It's Jesus, you gave everything to me. And now my life, everything that I am, I give those things back to you. You know, Zacchaeus giving the money back was, it was culturally a thing. Like if you stole from somebody, you'd pay them. But we realize that Zacchaeus goes so far beyond, right? That Jewish people, they have a thing that, you know, they're to reserve 20% of their income in order to like give to the poor and things like that, right? Like, we think 10% is hard. You know, Jews, they do, oh, that like slid right over you there. Whoa, whoa. That was because it went to your hearts, right? The Jews give 20%. Zacchaeus gave half. The law tells us, told the Jewish people that if they were going to repay, you'd pay back 100% plus 20% of interest. Zacchaeus pays back 400%. Can I tell you something? He's so radically changed by love that he's not even thinking about the law. He's not responding out of, you know, okay, I guess, you know, let's see, what do I have to do and what do I have? He's so touched, so touched by love. He's thinking, what do I have to give? I'm not sitting here telling you that you need to empty your bank accounts unless God tells you, at which point, my name is Alexander McDonald, right? (laughs) But can I tell you something? When we focus on the love, the acceptance, things begin to change. And we hear that in our church all the time, these stories. Right? I regularly hear stories of people who are working in careers. Careers. Like the thing that the world tells us is the ultimate objective of life, right? Get a good job. And we hear all the time of people leaving great jobs to come to LCSM. We hear all the time of people changing lifestyle habits and changing things about themselves because they've been touched by this radical love. Can I tell you something? We are extravagant in our responses. We are extravagant in our generosity. We are extravagant in our love and in our sacrifice because God has been so extravagant with us. Verse 9 says this, and I'm closing here. 
It says, Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those that are lost. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus is searching for you. You may feel lost. You may feel confused. Maybe coming through the season of COVID has you living in terror or fear. Maybe some things in your life that have popped up again, addictions and issues. You found yourself right back in some of those things. Can I tell you something? Stop running from Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to invite us to take a moment right now. I believe God gives these words because there are people, people who have the wrong idea of who he is. I'm going to ask really quickly, with everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Not to embarrass you. Everybody's head is bowed and eyes are closed. But I believe that something happens on the inside when we take a stand on the outside. Maybe you'd say, this is me. Maybe you'd say, I don't want anybody to know it, but I feel lost. I'm lost in some stuff, addictions, problems. Everything on the outside looks amazing, but on the inside, I feel like I'm broken and barely hanging on. Maybe there's somebody right now online or in this room or in Buffalo. Maybe you're having suicidal thoughts because you feel rejected. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you're in the middle of a divorce. Can I tell you something? Jesus came to seek. To seek and to save those who are lost. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to be brave. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up and down real quick. One, two, three. Slip your hand up. I see hands all over the room. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, in our hearts. Jesus, we know that the cross, this visible image that sits behind me, was the ultimate expression of love and acceptance that shows us that you would go to the ends of the earth to find us. We make a bold statement this morning that we are not lost, we are found. We are not weak, we are strong. We are not afraid, we are courageous. That we are not rejected, but we are accepted. And I declare that is the truth that we'll live out of today. One last thing really quickly. If you find yourself in this room, in Buffalo, online, and you've never accepted this Jesus, you feel like Zacchaeus and you've been searching, but you didn't know that you could come to Jesus, I'm going to ask us in unison all across online in this room that you'd repeat this prayer after me the bible tells us if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that we will be saved and enter relationship with jesus one two three say heavenly father i'm a sinner and i need a savior jesus i believe that you're the son of god 
sent from heaven to be my redemption. I declare you are my savior and my Lord. Fill my heart, fill my life, lead me, guide me, direct me. I lay aside everything that would keep me from you and choose today to put you on the throne of my life. In Jesus' name, come on, if you believe it, somebody say, yeah! Amen. Amen.